In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. midnight snack right now for all I know. All I know is that I'm happy you're taking a moment to listen to this. So I'm going to try to make it enjoyable for you. This week we've been working on some different strategies. Strategies in general. We've gone over some battles that happened in World War II and we've applied them to our everyday life. I thought we would continue on that series but in a more conspiratorial type of way. That's why I want to start off today with a story about the Light Brigade. Have you ever heard about the Light Brigade? Well, if you haven't, you're going to hear about it now. I'm going to read the poem by Lord Alfred Tennyson, and then I'll give you some background on it. Let's begin. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade. Charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them. Cannon to the left of them. Cannon in front of them. Volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death. Into the mouth of hell rode the 600. 
flashed, all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wondered, plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke, Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not, not the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came to the jaws of death back from the mouth of hell. All that was left of them, left of 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade. Noble 600. What do you think? Pretty interesting, right? Let me tell you a little bit more about the light brigade. What happened there? So the light brigade was was known as the Charge of the Light Brigade, and it was a failed military action involving the British Light Cavalry against the Russian forces during the Battle of Balaklava on October 25th, 1854 in the Crimean War. The Light Brigade was the equivalent of like the 82nd Airborne or the Navy SEALs or like the an unbelievable special forces. And they were the best of the best. And they were sent by a commander that had zero experience into the valley of death to be slaughtered. And it's a good example of how inexperience can turn the tide or how inexperience or foolish decision making can cause even the greatest army to lose. It's poor planning. It's people with really big egos and zero experience calling the shots. Can you think about anybody like that in your life? You're probably thinking, yeah, George, I'm thinking about you, you big dummy. Maybe. Maybe. I'm a pretty big dummy sometimes. But other times I'm pretty awesome. So let's not talk about me, all right? I was going to portray this to what's going on right now in our situation. I had a... I've been seeing a lot of stuff on my radar about, like, dark winter. Have you guys heard about this? Dark winter. Dark winter's coming. Dark winter. And it, it got me thinking. So I, I, I kind of Googled it, and I, I checked it out. And let me tell you some what Operation Dark Winter is. On June 22nd, 23rd, 2001, these groups created a senior-level war game that simulated a smallpox attack in the United States known as Dark Winter. Essentially, it was a mock version of a widespread smallpox attack. On these dates, senior policymakers and U.S. officials met at the simulation at Andrews Air Force Base. According to Shining Light on Dark Winter, Dark Winter was a tabletop exercise. Decision makers were presented with a fictional scenario and asked to react to the facts and context of the scenario, establish strategies, and making policy decisions. To the extent the decisions were made so incorporated into the evolving exercise so that key decisions affected the evolution and outcomes of the scenario. In the scenario, members of the National Security Council met to discuss a developing situation in Southwest Asia, but they received word of a smallpox outbreak in Oklahoma, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. They are briefed on the outbreak 
<clears throat> the time between exposure and symptoms developing and the lack of vaccines. The NSC was tasked with determining both the cause and the outbreak. The purpose of Operation Dark Winter, in Foreign Policy's article, America's pandemic war games don't end well. Mark Perry explains, The Dark Winter exercise ended on the second day of the simulation after three long sessions, and purposely without resolution. But then, the exercise's goal was not to predict the future, but to dramatize the issues faced by the federal government during a nationwide health crisis. In this, it masterfully succeeded, showing that what begins as a localized disease outbreak can quickly become a crisis that envelops the entire nation and the world. State borders become checkpoints, crowded with those fleeing the disease. Canada and Mexico close their borders with the U.S. The foreign nations restrict travel of American citizens. Ultimately, the purpose of the war game was to highlight the vulnerabilities in our healthcare systems and policies by putting them in worst-case but plausible scenarios. The findings of Operation Dark Winter. An attack on the United States with biological weapons could threaten vital national security interests. Massive civilian casualties, breakdown in essential institutions, violation of de democratic process, civil disorder, loss of confidence in government, and reduced U.S. strategic flexibility abroad. Current organizational structures and capabilities are not well suited for the management of biowarfare attack. Major fault lines exist between different levels of government, federal, state, local, between government and private sector among different institutions and agencies, and within the public and private sector. These disconnects could impede situational awareness and compromise the ability to limit loss of life, suffering, and economic damage. There is no surge capability in the U.S. healthcare and public health systems, or in the pharmaceutical and vaccine industries. This institutionally limited surge capacity could result in hospitals being overwhelmed and becoming inoperable, and it could impede public health agencies. Analysis of the scope, source, and progress of the epidemic, their abilities to educate and reassure the public, and their capacity to limit casualties and the spread of disease. Dealing with media will be a major immediate challenge for all levels of government. Information management and communication will be a critical element in crisis consequence management. Should a contagious bioweapon pathogen be used, containing the spread of disease will present significant ethical, political, cultural, operational, and legal challenges. So you're probably thinking, wow, that's interesting, George. So they did that back in 2001, huh? Why is that relevant today? Well, Let's talk about why the COVID-19 pandemic is compared to another disease simulation. The well-known Operation Dark Winter disease simulation was the first of its kind, but it was not the last. Eerily enough, there was another disease simulation in 2019 known as Event 201 that appears to have simulated what America is currently experiencing. In the Event 201 scenario, an outbreak of a novel coronavirus, a respiratory illness, is transmitted from bats to pigs to humans. The outbreak begins in South America, and from there it explodes. Air travel brings the coronavirus to the U.S. In the scenario, some countries contain it at first, only to discover it continues to be reintroduced and spread. Additionally, there is no vaccine for the coronavirus, and experts don't expect one for a year. In the end, 65 million people die, and there are significant economic consequences globally. If you think that sounds disconcertingly similar to COVID-19, you are not alone. So many people contacted the Center for Health Security about the war game simulation 
predicting COVID-19 that they were forced to release a statement. And here's the statement. In October 2019, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security hosted a pandemic tabletop exercise called Event 201 with partners, the World Economic Forum, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. To be clear, the Center for Health Security and partners did not make a prediction during our tabletop exercise. For this scenario, we modeled a fictional coronavirus pandemic. But we explicitly stated that it was not a prediction. Instead, the exercise served to highlight preparedness and response challenges that would likely arise in a very severe pandemic. We are not now predicting that the COVID-19 outbreak will kill 65 million people. Although our tabletop exercises included a mock novel coronavirus, the inputs we used for modeling the potential impact of that fictional virus are not similar. Even so, the evidence is clear. The United States needs to study the key findings of these war game simulations and better prepare. I hear you. So you're like, so what, George? Yeah, who cares? They, they're obviously planning. Like, that's what countries do. They get the best of the best and they red team and they go over situations that could happen. Why wouldn't they do that? It's just pure coincidence that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation sponsored the 201 event. It's pure coincidence that Bill Gates has a TED Talk talking about reducing carbon to zero, eliminating large portions of people on the planet. It's just coincidence, George. Okay, yeah, so what? Yeah, maybe there's a little something there, but this COVID is, it's not, it wasn't made in the lab, George. It wasn't the United States and China working together in a lab. Who cares if Dr. Fauci worked there? That doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is that your kids wear face masks. Get it? That's what's important. Don't worry if it's an engineered virus. Am I laying the sarcasm on pretty thick? Good. Listen to this little nugget. Engineering contagion. UPMC coronathrax, and the darkest winter. Researchers at the BSL-3 lab tied to the organizers of the 2001 dark winter simulation, DARPA, and the post-9-11 biodefense industrial complex are genetically modifying anthrax to express COVID-19 components, according to FOIA documents. This is an article from Whitney Webb on The Last American Vagabond. She goes into a whistleblower who, soon after having been fired from his post as Secretary of the Treasury in December 2002, after a policy clash with the president, Paul O'Neill became a trustee of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, despite having just worked under the clash with George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. It wasn't until O'Neill began answering to UPMC CEO Jeffrey Romoff as a member of the center's board that he chose to publicly denounce a superior as evil. Here is another excerpt from the article. The odd trajectory of UPMC's COVID-19 vaccine efforts. In January 2020, when much of the world remained blissfully unaware of the, of the coming global pandemic, UPMC was already at work developing a vaccine to protect against the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19, 
known as the SARS CoV 2. That month, before the state of Pennsylvania had a single case of COVID 19, UPMC formed a coronavirus task force, which was initially focused on lobbying the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to obtain samples of live SARS-CoV-2 for research purposes. That research was to be conducted at the Biosafety Level 3, BSL-3, Regional Biocontainment Laboratory, RBL, housed within UPMC's Center for Vaccine Research. A day after the director of UPMC's Center for Vaccine Research, W. Paul Duprex revealed UPMC's efforts to access the SARS-CoV-2 virus. He announced that the virus samples containing an estimated 50 to 60 million coronavirus particles were already en route to the university. At the time, UPMC was one of only a handful of institutions on the CDC's shortlist to receive the live SARS-CoV-2 samples. UPMC later stated that they began work on a vaccine for COVID-19 on January 21st, weeks before the February 14th announcement that the virus was on its way to the university. That original vaccine candidate used the published genetic sequence of SARS-CoV-2 released in early January 2020 by Chinese researchers to synthetically produce... Let me say that again, folks to synthetically produce SARS-CoV-2 spike proteins that would be transported into cells by an adenoviral vector, which is commonly used in a variety of vaccines. The vaccine candidate was nicknamed PitCovac, short for Pittsburgh Coronavirus Vaccine. You see what's going on here? A little over a month after the live SARS-CoV-2 samples were received by UPMC's Center for Vaccine Research, UPMC received a $5 million grant from the Coalition of Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, an international organization founded in 2017 by the governments of Norway and India, along with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The grant was officially awarded to an international academic industry partnership that the Center for Vaccine Research had recently formed with the Institut Pasteur in France and Australian, Austrian vaccine manufacturer Themis. Soon after, in May, Themis was acquired by vaccine giant Merck, which began recruiting volunteers for human trials earlier this month in September. Merck has incredibly close ties with the UPMC, particularly in its commercialization arm known as the UPMC Enterprises. Isn't it interesting? The same people keep popping up everywhere. And it could be coincidence. Don't get me wrong. It's possible it could be coincidence. But another point I want you guys to think about is that the pharmaceutical companies cannot be sued for any harm their vaccine does. Like there's zero And I mean zero consequences for the pharmaceutical industry when making vaccines. And if you think that the vaccines being produced right now, like there is hundreds of millions of dollars in Operation Warp Speed and there's hundreds of million dollars at play right now. Do you think once people make vaccines that that COVID's going away? 
You think, you think if they make those vaccines and then, okay, COVID really wasn't anything, they're just going to throw those things away? Like, there's banks involved. There's politicians involved. There's pharmaceutical companies involved. You can believe that once the vaccines are made, you're going to get them. They're going to force everyone to take them. That's what's coming. And as I go way out with some high-octane speculation right here, that's what dark winter is going to be. It seems to me that what we've seen so far is practice. It's a drill. It's a live drill. And if you look at the history of events that have happened in our country, they always drill them first, right? It's always a test. Remember all the, all the drills that happened in 9-11? That's why, that's why they couldn't get the response there. They called it, well, we couldn't stop because it was a lack of imagination. Ironically enough, they were doing drills for the very events that caused those towers to come down. If you listen to the mayor and governor of New York, they're saying some crazy things. They're saying, oh, well, we'll never take Trump's vaccine, but we're going to be the very first state to be free of COVID with this other vaccine. Like, Why would they say that? Clearly, those politicians are tied to a different vaccine maker. Which, if you just follow that logically, what do they know that we don't know? Why is it that a handful of states, California, Oregon, Washington, New York, why is it that these states are just out of control right now, more so than ever? Well, I'm going to tell you that too. Hang on. All right. Are you with me so far? I'm trying to tie it all together. We've got the dark winter. We're starting off with dark winter. And we went into the war games of how they talked about a potential bioterror attack happening. And they've planned it out. They've practiced it. Then we got into event 201, which was a very recent biotech simulation by the very people that are now in charge of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now we're talking about vaccines and the very same people. Those very same people are in charge of the CDC. A lot of these very same people are involved in the states that are getting out of control. If you think about Bill Gates and you think about Silicon Valley. You think about the mobsters over there in New York. Now, I want you to listen to this article and keep in mind what we've said so far, the dark winter. And now I'm going to add those other states involved and the election chaos. A group of bipartisan neoconservative Republicans and establishment Democrats have been simulating multiple catastrophic scenarios for the 2020 election, including a simulation where a clear victory by the incumbent provokes unprecedented measures, which the Biden campaign could take to foil a new Trump inauguration. A group of Democratic Party insiders and former Obama and Clinton era officials, as well as a cadre of never Trump neoconservative Republicans, have spent the past few months conducting simulations and war games 
regarding different 2020 election doomsday scenarios. Per several media reports on the group called the Transition Integrity Project, they justify these exercises as specifically preparing for a scenario where President Trump loses the 2020 election and refuses to leave office, potentially resulting in a constitutional crisis. Okay, maybe you could go with that. I, I think that there has been some talk of him on CNN or some media somewhere talking about he might not leave office. Okay, so far so good, right? No big deal. However, according to the Transition Integrity Project's own documents, even their simulations involving a clear win for Trump in the upcoming election resulted in a constitutional crisis as they predicted that the Biden campaign would make bold moves aimed at securing the presidency regardless of election result. Real quickly, if you get a moment, go and look up the Transition Integrity Project. There's a lot of money behind these people and these people are going and giving presentations to Congress, senators, state politicians. They're telling, they're going out and giving people this incredible well-funded, probably multi-million dollar campaign and they're doing it for free. Like, why would they do that? Why would they be going around to state governments? Why would they be going around to all our politicians and showing them, hey, here's what might happen. Here's a war game we did. Right? Are they not, plan? is, is that not a plan? Like, why do you practice for something? Because you're going to do it. Back to the article. This is particularly troubling given that TIP, which we know stands for the Transition Integrity Project, has considerable ties to the Obama administration where Biden served as vice president, as well as several groups that are adamantly pro-Biden in addition to the Biden campaign itself. Indeed, the fact that the group of openly pro-Biden Washington insiders and former government officials have gamed out scenarios for possible election outcomes and their aftermath all of which either ended with Biden becoming president or a constitutional crisis, suggest that powerful forces influencing the Biden campaign are pushing the former vice president to refuse to concede the election, even if he loses. This, of course, gravely undercuts the TIP's claim to be ensuring integrity in the presidential transition process and instead suggests that the group is openly planning on how to ensure that Trump leaves office regardless of the result or to manufacture the very constitutional crisis they claim to be preventing through their simulations. Such concerns are only magnified by the recent claims made by the 2016 Democratic presidential candidate and former Secretary of State under Obama, Hillary Clinton, that Biden should not concede under any circumstances. I think this is going to drag out and eventually I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. And if we are focused and relentless as the other side is. Clinton continued during an interview with Showtime a little over a week ago. The results of the TIP simulations notably echo Clinton's campaign. I'm sorry. Echo Clinton's claims that Biden will eventually win if the process to determine the election outcome is dragged out. Let's take a look at some of their war games here. Members of the TIP met in June to conduct four war games that simulated a dark, 11 weeks between election day and inauguration day. Okay, that's a direct quote 
from the FOIA. This is a direct quote from the TIP. A dark 11 weeks between election day and inauguration day. Dark winter. You see that? We're right back there. And for those of you hanging on right here, do a cursory search of dark winter right now and just see it's, it's everywhere. It's all over the news and all over the internet. In which Trump and his Republican allies used every apparatus of government, the Postal Service, state lawmakers, the Justice Department, federal agents, and the military to hold on to power, and Democrats took to the courts and to the streets to try to stop it. According to a report from the Boston Globe, however, one of those simulations which examined what would transpire between Election Day and Inauguration Day in the event of a clear Trump win shows that the TIP simulated not only how Republicans could use every option at their disposal to hold on to power, but also how Democrats could do so if the 2020 election result is not in their favor. While some most right-leaning media outlets such as this article from the Nation Pulse did note that the TIP simulations involved the Biden campaign refusing to concede, the actual document from TIP on the exercises revealed the specific moves that Biden campaign would take following a clear win for the Trump campaign. Unsurprisingly, these moves would greatly exasperate current political tensions in the United States. An end result that the TIP claims they would they were created to avoid, gravely undercutting the official justification for their simulations as well as the group's official reason for existing. In the TIP's clear Trump win scenario, see page 17, Joe Biden played in the war game by John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign manager and chief of staff to former President Bill Clinton, retracted his election night concession and subsequently convinced three states with Democratic governors, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Michigan, to ask for recounts. Then the governors of Wisconsin and Michigan sent separate states of electors to counter those sent by the state legislature to the Electoral College, which Trump had won, in an attempt to undermine if not prevent, that win. Next, the Biden campaign encouraged Western states, particularly California, but also Oregon and Washington. Collectively known as Cascadia, to secede from the union unless congressional Republicans agreed to a set of structural reforms. Let's just read that again so you can truly understand a possible scenario for a contested election and what a strategy for the Biden campaign would be. The Biden campaign encouraged Western states, particularly Californian, but also Oregon and Washington, and collectively known as Cascadia, to secede from the, United, from the Union unless congressional Republicans agreed to a set of structural reforms. Subsequently, with advice from President Obama, the Biden campaign laid out those reforms as the following. Give statehood to Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Divide California into five states to more accu accurately represent its population in the Senate. Require Supreme Court justices to retire at 70. Eliminate the Electoral College. In other words, these structural reforms involve the creation of what essentially amounts to having the U.S. be composed of 56 states, with the new states set to ensure a perpetual majority for Democrats as only Democrat majority areas, D.C., Puerto Rico, and California are given statehood. Notably, in other scenarios where Biden won the Electoral College, Democrats did not support its elimination. 
Also notable is the fact that in this simulation, the TIP blamed the Trump campaign for the Democrats' decision to take the provocative, unprecedented actions laid out above, asserting that Trump's campaign had created the conditions to force the Biden campaign into taking these actions by doing things like giving an interview to The Intercept in which he, Trump, stated that he would have lost the election if Bernie Sanders had been nominated instead of Biden as the Democratic presidential candidate. The TIP also claimed that the Trump campaign would seek to paint these provocative, unprecedented actions as the Democrats attempting to orchestrate an illegal coup, despite the fact that that is essentially what those actions entail. Indeed, in other simulations where the Trump campaign behaved along these lines, the TIP's rhetoric about this category of extreme action is decidedly different. Just to be clear, I don't like either one of these knuckleheads. And I'm not going to vote for Trump, and I'm not going to vote for Biden. You see, if you want to know what's happening, I th- in my opinion, let me, let me go way out here with some high-octane speculation. Here's what's going to happen. Biden is going to get COVID-19 and he's going to step down and Kamala Harris is going to be president. I think there's a really good opportunity that, well, I wouldn't call it an opportunity. I think there's a really good chance of that happening. I think the election results are going to be Trump steamrolling Biden and that you're going to see the Biden campaign act on those things we just talked about. And, and when it comes down to it, I, I don't think either side cares about you or me. It's not real. Trump is a, he's a front man, just like Biden's a front man, just like Kamala Harris will be a front person, front woman. And it's, you know, the, it goes deep, I think. I think we're seeing a real possible chance for bioterrorism come wintertime. If you look at all the drills being done, like they're practicing. In my state of Hawaii, they're, they've been working on the H3. For, somebody, for, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that don't know, that is a freeway with a huge tunnel that goes through the mountains right there. And that was kind of where the staging was. That was where they asked everybody to go to at the height of the coronavirus over here to get tested. And it was really, they shut down that freeway and they made a huge spectacle of it. And not only did they make a spectacle of it, but in the papers it says, just come down here and get tested. Even if you don't think you've had the virus, we would like a lot of people to come down here so we can see our capabilities of testing people. Like that's fucking practice. I don't know that that that's what's going to happen. But another little nugget of information that makes me think that is I remember watching Tulsi Gabbard on the Jimmy Dore show and he had backed her and Rogan had backed her and, and she was really gung-ho about pulling troops out and, and doing what's right. And she seemed to be like a grassroots movement of the people trying to get into the presidency. And she went and did a lot of hard work. She went out and went to Gold Star Families and raised money and then had to give that money to the Democratic Party. And for a long time, I, I was racking my brain like, dude, how could she do that? But then I started, so before I get ahead of myself, I, I seen her on the Jimmy Dore show and he asked her that exact question. 
Like, how can you do that? And she just got this look of disdain on her face. And she says, well, you know what, Jimmy? You don't know what's coming. She's recently decided not to go back to Congress. Like she's quitting. I mean, isn't it, is it possible? Is it possible that she's aware of a biotech, a bio attack coming and that that's what was held up on her? Hey, if you keep pushing us, we're going to make sure that the bio attack happens in your state. Like that would be one way to make sure she didn't tell anybody. That would be one way to make her quit Congress. And it would make a lot of sense why there's all these drills going on right now. If you think about a limited bioterror attack, like it would hit all the homeless people, right? Look at California right now. How many people would be up in arms about a bio attack that killed all the homeless people right there? A lot of people would, right? But you know as well as I do, there'd be, people, there'd be a lot of people like, well, yeah, fuck them. Good riddance. You know, there's a lot of potential for chicanery. And I think that those are some of the things that could be happening in Dark Winter. And you're welcome for my bringing out this darkness right now. <laughs> I didn't mean to get all dark on you guys, man. I'm sorry. But I've been watching all this stuff. I've been seeing this Dark Winter. I'm going to put a link to... The articles I read in the show notes and the transcripts. So if you want to go check out Whitney Webb stuff, and I highly recommend it. She's a independent journalist and she's got a lot of good information. And she's got some deep, deep, deep dives on what she thinks is happening. Also, I want to let everybody know, when it comes to coronavirus, just turn off your TV. That's the That spreads coronavirus faster than anything. I've seen and noticed that the people who watch the most TV are the most worried about coronavirus. So turn that off. Just turn it off. You got to check it every now and then. I get it. But don't watch it for more than just, just go on, look at the news channel online, but don't sit down and watch TV. It's the worst thing you could possibly do. Well, that's all I got for you guys today. I love you. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. 
Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.